there's something I need to tell you all before we get started. Um, I may seem out of breath when I'm preaching tonight, and um, it's not just because I'm a little nervous. You're always a little bit nervous no matter how many times you preach, partly it's because I'm out of shape, but mainly because I'm five months pregnant, and this robe, this may be my last night wearing it. <laughs> if I do pass out, Mike is willing to step up and just read my manuscript, so you are in good hands, so don't need to be worried, but if I start to look lightheaded, maybe y'all can catch me, so I'm counting on y'all in the back. So if you have been with us the last four weeks through Advent, you know that our series was called Comfort and Joy, and I'm going to kind of keep that theme going just a little bit tonight. But I'm going to go ahead and read our passage, Luke 2, 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from the Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of the heavens, host, heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the angels said, or the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has been made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So when we read this story, I know many of you have heard this story many, many times. I am filled with comfort and joy. I don't know about you. We may not know every detail. We may take details from this story and then Matthew and then fill in additions of the way the story has been told, maybe in books or movies, and we can kind of combine all those details together. But when we read it, there's something about it that brings comfort and joy. Maybe because it's familiar, I don't know. But, but why wouldn't it bring comfort and joy? It's the story of the birth of Christ 
of God coming to live among us, the long-awaited Messiah, the one who was promised, the one that people have been looking for, the Redeemer, the one who saves, who gives hope and comfort and love and unending grace. This story changed the world forever. So when we read it, we're filled with comfort and joy because it's this reminder of this incredible love that came to us. I love this story, and I never tire of it. However, which is a very scary word for a pastor to say, what else happened on this night? I always ask myself this. What else happened to get to this point? If you've ever taken a class with me or if you've heard me preach, one thing I love to do is put myself in the story or maybe just use my imagination. Sometimes I'm one of the characters in the story or sometimes I'm this anonymous bystander with no name, but I'm just observing everything that's going on. And I really do try to use my imagination and I try to think through everything, everything that's not written down, things that are in the margins, like the sounds, the smells, the tastes, the feelings, all of it. And so I think, you know, what was it like to get ready to travel? What was it like to get things in order to go register your family? Was it chaotic getting set for the journey? All the food and water you needed to make sure you had enough things to sleep on, things to take shelter with? It would have been about, normally, a three-day walk to Bethlehem probably a little bit longer with Mary. I don't think she was walking, trying to break any records. And I think about how much I pack and how much I prepare and stress for a three-day journey, and I have something called Bucky's that I can stop at, right? They didn't have any of that. So what was this preparation like? What was Joseph thinking about? Because he probably was worried to take Mary because the baby was going to come at any moment and walking for her would be long and painful and extremely tiresome. So getting ready for this journey probably wasn't necessarily comforting or joyful, but stressful and chaotic and a little bit of an annoyance. I also think maybe, I wonder, I wonder if they thought, is there more to this census? We're under Roman law, we're kind of an oppressed people. Is there something else going on that we're not prepared for? Was there that worry? Was there that fear as well? What went through the minds of those who were traveling? But notice how I said those. See, I think when we picture this night or this journey, we, at least for me, I picture Mary and Joseph and this donkey in the wilderness, and they're the only ones there. <laughs> they're all by themselves. But they weren't alone. They weren't the only ones traveling. Everyone was having to go do this thing. And I'm sure lots of people from their own town were going. I'm sure as they went on their journey, they met up with different people in the deserts and hills coming from other places. And so this caravan was growing and it was getting bigger and bigger. Which is why this story of Mary and Joseph losing Jesus later on is a little bit more understandable that they lost their child. They didn't realize he was there. Um, 
because it was often that you grew, you, as you were on these caravans, friends and family, you would go down the line and talk to people, and so you didn't always know where everyone was. You just hoped that they were in the caravan. And so there was a lot of people going. And so Mary and Joseph most likely had people surrounding them on their journey, ready if the baby were to come at any moment. People probably checked on Mary, worried about Mary, shared food and water with Mary. See, Mary and Joseph were not alone in this journey. And because they were not alone, because they had people surrounding them, they had comfort and joy. So this tells me that sometimes just being a presence among someone, walking alongside them, not intruding or overstepping, but simply being with them brings enormous comfort and joy. Think about all the people in this story that journeyed with them that are unnamed. We don't know who they are, but they made this significant impact in the life of Mary and Joseph in a moment where they really needed someone with them. So what else happened? The body of Christ already was working together, was caring for one another, sharing in things, sacrificing things, loving one another. When I continue on in this story and I think about how they had their child, how they had Jesus not in the comfort of their home where things were familiar, that Mary's mother was maybe not there, I think about how hard that must have been maybe even disappointing. As I mentioned, I'm five months pregnant now, and I think about if I were to accidentally deliver in, I don't know, Arlington, how weird that would be. Because <laughs> it wouldn't be familiar. It wouldn't be what I had planned. Most people have in their mind a birth plan, where they should be, their doctor, their hospital. Everything's familiar. Everyone's near them. I know that I would certainly feel disappointed if I wasn't where exactly I had envisioned. Don't you think that Mary had in her mind how this was all going to play out? I don't think she thought, hmm, it'd be really nice to deliver miles and miles away from my home, away from my friends and my family. But what these two found was that they had all they really needed. See, things could be, things can be so dramatically different than we think, that we expect, and it ends up being perfect. The story reminds me that not, that not everything has to be perfect. Perfect is overrated. What else happened that night was that Mary and Joseph's expectations shifted, and they found great joy in what actually happened. What else happened this night? Some of the lowest people in society got included in this story. And not just included, but told first. In case you didn't know, being a shepherd was not this high calling. It was not this respected sort of job. It was a rough and tumble crowd, maybe criminals. They were usually uneducated, didn't fit anywhere else. Poor and without much. And they had hard jobs that required being out in the rain, 
or in the, in the um, sun, extreme heat and cold. They didn't have comfy camping chairs. They didn't have those really cool hammocks to hang up on the olive trees around their solo stove, making s'mores. They needed to be alert and ready to fight wild animals at any moment. And where they would maybe fall asleep at night if they got to sleep was rocky terrain. So imagine their surprise when the angels appear and tell them of this great news. Of all the people that the angels should have appeared to, shepherds certainly were not at the top of the list, not even the middle of the list. And yet here they are getting breaking news. They are the first to know outside Mary and Joseph that the long-awaited Messiah is, is here. He has arrived. And this is a huge um, catalyst for the which Jesus reveals himself in the world. Jesus, who sides with those who are forgotten and marginalized, acknowledges the shepherds. That's why God chooses to tell them first, because God is doing a new thing. God is doing something different. So what else happened? Something new was starting. As we read on, we know the shepherds went on to indeed find where this king was. And we are told they went with haste, which the definition of haste is excessive speed or urgency of movement or action, which I've decided will now be the word I yell at my five-year-old daughter in the morning, because apparently, I need you to hurry does not compute. So I'm going to be like, haste, haste. <laughs> Maybe she'll get that. But I do find it fascinating that there was a sense of urgency. They wanted to get there. I find it fascinating because that's exactly how Jesus' ministry is. As soon as he's baptized, his ministry moves quickly, and he is on the go. So there's, there's this urgency, um, there's this sort of, this message that says, okay, this message of Christ has to get out quickly, and it started with the shepherds. Makes me think of how urgent I am with this message of good news. Do I move with haste to, uh, to uh, tell others? Am I, am I really doing all that I can? I'm thankful for this reminder from the shepherds to hear this news and then do something with it. Now I'm going to get a little creative with this next portion of the story, but go with me. <laughs> Can you imagine what it must have been like when the shepherds did show up to Mary and Joseph? Mary and Joseph were no doubt tired. Mary much, much more, just for the record. <laughs> she did all the work. <laughs> but I'm sure when the shepherds showed up, Mary and Joseph said, wait, what happened? <laughs> Are you serious? We had no idea what, what else is happening out there. Do you think Joseph ran out to look at the skies or listen and see and hear, like, are the angels singing? What else is going on in the world? Should we expect more stories like this? Are more people coming? And for this small moment in time, this young couple and these ragged, Shepherds laughed and talked and praised God together, and they shared something that no one else would. It bonded them in a unique way. 
It makes me wonder if they traveled to see one another as Jesus grew. Did they stay in touch? What did the shepherds go on to do or to be? What else happened that night was that lives were transformed and changed forever. The world was changed forever. And this is just a small portion of the story. Who knows what else wasn't written down? And that's why I love this story so much. Because so much happened that we can't know or even comprehend. But here we are, gathered at nine-something at night, at a church in Plano, Texas, thousands of years later, thousands of miles away, to talk about at least a portion of this incredible story. What else happened on this night? I may ask myself that question every year from now on. But the really important question I pose to you tonight, I've got two, is what happened to you when you first heard this story? What has happened to you tonight when you heard it again? I pray we go with haste, my friends, and tell as many people as possible. Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Amen.